I would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which I create this compliance episode today. I would also like to pay my respects to the elders, past, present and emerging. I would also like to pay respect to the people that have passed down, deepened, enriched the compliance knowledge and wisdom I'm privileged to embody today and share throughout my work as a conscious career coach. Dearest you, I hope you had a lovely weekend. Mine was a bit productive yesterday. Today I was a bit chill. I did only go for a walk because the weather was um, slightly better than the previous days. We've had a bit of a sunshine. I was very grateful for that and um, I've had a chance to sit down for a few minutes and to just take in the vitamin D, (laughs) uh, which we all miss here in Europe um, around this time of year. But regardless, um, yes, it is a Sunday and I'm recording this episode and um, I'm not working, thankfully. (laughs) Well, if if I worked yesterday, it was purely voluntary. Um, I did it because I had to close some stuff that I needed to. Um, otherwise, I'll just leave that for Monday. And Monday, I've got some other commitments. So I was trying to free up my schedule. <clears throat> so yeah, I'm trying to be smart about my time management. So today, we will carry on the compliance topics. Um, and we will be talking about the uh, importance of anti-money laundering policies. So, anti-money laundering policies and procedures exist to help financial institutions um, combat money laundering and stopping criminals from engaging in transactions to disguise the origins of funds uh, that are connected to illegal activity. Many countries, uh, as well as um, economic and political partnerships, um, such as the EU, um, have enacted and continue to update laws and regulations to combat money laundering and countering tourism financing. And I um, just want to stop here and say, I know I always refer to financial institutions here, um, just for the sake of education. Um, we, we can all assume that this is a responsibility just for, for banks and um, financial institutions. But for your information, non, certain non-financial institutions and other sectors um, have the exact same um, um, have the exact same, so to say, responsibility. Um, and some of the laws also govern these sectors as well, even if they're not banks per se. But for this podcast, we can every time I say financial institution, just <clears throat> keep in mind that there is also a different sector or different sectors that are also impacted by these um, regulations in general. So, um, who sets the global um, policies or what is this global um, decision-making body? It is called the Financial Action Task Force, which is an intergovernmental body that sets standards to help countries develop and update their laws um, to combat money laundering and terrorism financing. And it helps um, ensure consistency as well uh, amongst the members. 
They've got around um, 39 members. Um, 37 of them are member countries or jurisdictions. Uh, and the other two are the EU Commission and the Gulf Cooperation Council. So what basically FADF does um, is that it promotes um, or researches how money is laundered and terrorism is funded and it promotes global standards to mitigate the risks and assess whether the countries are actually taking uh, effective action. So um, you've got roughly more than 200 countries, uh, nearly the entire world, <laughs> uh, that have committed to implement the unfair standards as part of the coordinated global response to preventing organized crime corruption and terrorism. So basically, if these countries do not adhere to um, FADF standards, um, they can end up in a list that is called the Grey List or the Black List, um, also known as um, jurisdictions under increased monitoring or a high-risk um, country or high-risk jurisdiction. So um, that's usually identified through a series of uh, meetings and once the FADF um, holds its plenary meetings um, three times a year, um, they try to hold countries to account if they do not comply with the standards. So, and that's as far as FADF as an introduction um, goes. Within um, the U.S., um, for example, um, you've got the Bank Secrecy Act, which you must have heard um, uh, numerous times in this podcast if you're listening in. Banks must create an effective compliance program and uh, as well as establish the appropriate customer due diligence systems and programs. The financial institutions uh, must also screen um against Office um, of Foreign Assets and Control, um, OFAC, and uh, Economic and Trade Sanctions, um, basically to screen the names of customers against the sanctions lists. And from uh, an effective um, suspicious activity monitoring and reporting process, so basically they, they need to know whether somebody is listed in a sanctioned um, list. Uh, that is administered by, uh, by by OFAC, sorry, and to also establish and put in place a SAM or suspicious activity monitoring and reporting uh, program that detects um, anomalies in transactions and report behaviors, uh, suspicious behaviors and transactions to um, FinCEN. Um, so just as importantly as well to comply with the BSA, banks must also employ a risk-based approach to money laundering and this is something we will be talking about uh, in the future episodes as to what a risk-based approach really means and how is all that and um, the rest of the other things you need to have in mind to build a beautiful picture of what compliance really is if you're interested in taking on a role in compliance in the future. So thank you for listening in for today's episode. I've, I hope you've, as always, learned something new. And um, until next time, have a beautiful day, evening, wherever you are. And um, God bless you. Thank you for visiting us for this episode of Compliance Careerist. 
consider following us if you consider taking on development and professional opportunities to help you succeed consciously. And if you know someone who would benefit of listening to Compliance Careerist, please share it with them.